0: To a bonus, a very special um, episode of uh, the Sports Bubble. Just as I bang my microphone as we started recording, Uh, I'm joined by Computer Con Murphy. Hello, Con. Hi, Phil. How are you? Not too bad. People will know, Con, if if you're like me, you tune into League of Ireland games or you tune into the Portuguese League this season and last season, obviously, and probably many more, which Con's going to tell us all about. You'll know who that is. Um, Con, thanks so much for coming on with us. Um, Really appreciate this. Taking your time on a Tuesday evening to speak to me down a microphone, I always find it weird when guests say they'll come and talk to me <laughs> on a podcast. I like, oh, listen, perfect.
1: if I'm talking about sports, I'm happy out. I'll talk to the heart till the cows come home.
0: Good <laughs> man. Um, this get you into come? What what got you into sports broadcasting and sports commentating? Um, it goes back a good while now, and.
1: When I left school, I actually worked in the travel business for a few years um, in various travel agencies and um, airlines and stuff like that. And the root of that was my uncle in America was a travel agent and he spent his whole life traveling around to the Caribbean and Mexico and Las Vegas and over to Ireland. And he seemed to spend his whole life um, traveling. But what I didn't realize is that, He was kind of the boss and the owner of the business. So he got all these lovely trips all over the world. And when I was working in the business, I was a, a, an underling. And I think the best trip I got was a coach trip to, um, Spain. And I actually missed the coach. So I didn't even get that one. Um, so, uh, after a couple of years, I kind of realized that it wasn't floating my boat. You know, I was, I was, uh, peed off with it to be honest with you and I kind of wondered what I was going to do and at the time this is how old I am we were still working on telephones, so if we needed to book an airline <laughs> ticket or a, a boat ticket or whatever we'd actually call you know Aer Lingus or the boat company or whatever and a few times um people at the other end of the phone um, usually women would say uh, you have a lovely voice you know and it kind of got me thinking about getting into broadcasting and stuff but at the time uh, there was only rte in in the republic anyway yeah and so my options were very i, I had no idea how to get into rte The it, it didn't even occur to me that they would think about giving me a job and um around that time all the local radio stations just about started to kick off and i suddenly thought well maybe there is a chance if i get into a local station or whatever um and uh, Century Radio was starting in Dublin, which was a, a kind of a national radio station independent um, yes. challenger to RTE, the kind of young upstart. And they were looking for young people who presumably were cheap. So I fell into that category. I I I'd, I'd um, met one of the guys who was a producer in there and I told him I was, you know, interested and in blah, blah, blah. So in The Heel of the Hunt, I started in there as a sort of trainee producer, and one day the guy who did the sports in the morning show um, called in sick or something the night before and they asked me would I do it the following day, and um, I was terrible. Um, really, genuinely I was awful, uh, and I think were, that was going to be the end of my broadcasting career, because the bosses were were talking about getting somebody else to do it the following day, It was it was that bad. And at the time, Marty Whelan, um, who's now doing the breakfast show on Lyric FM, he was um, the presenter. And Marty sort of fought my case and stood up for me and said, look, give him another go. And, you know, you can't just chop him after one broadcast. And so they gave me a run at it and I got a bit better. And eventually um, that's it, That's where it kicked off anyway. So I was in Century and eventually that radio station closed down and I shuffled around a bit to a couple of the stations before I went to RTE and I spent 20 years in RTE, 22 years to be exact. So I've been around the block a few times.
0: Did you, how did you find going to RTE then? And like, obviously you, you've covered Olympics as well, so so what's that been like? Because like, anyone that's listened to this podcast or knows me knows I'm a complete sports nerd. And we've talked briefly before we come on. I'm gathering you might be as well. So like, that, to me, yeah. is, like, the pinnacle. The the, world, the 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 men's and women's football World Cup, I'd love to go and do. Yeah.
1: Because
0: football's my favourite. I'd love to go and do NBA, although I wouldn't have a clue how to compete in the NBA. <laughs> and the, but the Olympics, like, to go and spend a month or whatever just following the Olympics, what was that like? Yeah, I'd
1: say you'd like to do the NFL as well, would you? Just from having listened yes. you previously, yes. yeah. And um, yes. that's one of my that's on one of my bucket list ones. I'd love to even just go to a, a Super Bowl um, final. That's down for um, uh, some sometime yes. in the future, anyway. Hopefully, but yeah, I've done six Olympics now. I started with Atlanta '96. That was my first one, and mm. um, you're dead right. You know, going to an Olympics, I think for any broadcaster, in a way, it's kind of like. As good as it gets, you know, it's just people are cynical about events and and rightly so, you know, um, drug taking down through the years and stuff. But when you're there, it's it's very easy just to be drawn into the whole magic of the thing. You know, you could be watching uh, USA against the Czech Republic playing basketball in the morning and then you go across the road and the swimming finals are on or, you know, the second week you're into the track and field and. Uh, also, like the football, there's you know more and more football matches now. Um, so for me, going to the Olympics has always been one of the real highlights. And for the first five, I was working for RT Radio as a kind of a presenter. Um, and we used to do programs from whatever city was hosting the games at the time. And then for the last one in Rio, I went as a commentator and I was working with George Hamilton on the um, athletics in the second week. And being in that stadium, you know, when uh, the 100 meters final is on or, you know, Thomas Barr came very close to winning a medal for Ireland. And George was kind of the senior commentator, if you like. So he'd be doing the Mm. uh, most of the Irish if they were in a final or whatever. But I I absolutely loved it. And it was a strange one, actually. Rio uh, athletics isn't they're You know, they're, they're football nuts in Brazil. And so athletics would be much further down the list of priorities for their fans, and so you'd have a lot of empty seats in the stadium, which wouldn't normally be the case um, for athletics at an Olympics. I mean, in Sydney or whatever, you know, that was the the highlight there. And um, so, from that point of view, it was a bit strange that there'd be sessions with you know a half-empty stadium, which is most unusual. But to be there, to be in the stadium, to get paid. For going to sit in the best seats in the stadium, literally right on the finish line. You know, better seats than Sebastian Coe was sitting in, and he's a big mm. shot in the um, Olympic Council. Um, so from that point of view, it's just it's fabulous. And this week was the 20th anniversary of Sonia O'Sullivan winning her silver medal in Sydney. And I was just yeah. uh, in contact with um, Yvonne Judge, who's a journalist and was with us in, in RTE at the time, 20 years ago. And again, we were right on the finishing line, about six rows back for that race. And I remember looking at her and saying, you know, this is absolutely mad. Like to be in this stadium, people are paying thousands of dollars for these tickets. We've the best seats in the house and we're getting paid to be here. I mean, it doesn't
0: get much better than that, really. It was absolutely fantastic.
1: Uh,
0: I'm just thinking about like the next Olympics and trying to get the one and I know it could be different because it's in Tokyo and we don't know what's going to happen with this pandemic but I was in with the BBC helping do the, the Irish Cup final and I was working with the senior engineer Bill and yeah. he, he covers all the Olympics and he's been doing it, he's originally from Australia and he's been doing it for 30 years and he's actually going to Tokyo to work for the Olympic Broadcasting um, as a corporation oh, yeah I okay. it is. Olympic Broadcasting work-
1: Service. actually I am too so tell him I'll see him oh, there <laughs>
0: I you, I can't remember Bill's second name. Ah, oh, um, he was an absolute hero. I worked with him for two nights that week, and it was amazing. He was su- such a, yeah, uh, he so much knowledge, like about, uh, uh broadcast and producing engineering. So I was obviously yeah. asking too many questions, but he was saying he was going and uh, he can't wait to go. And what happens at the Olympics? And I just find it fascinating. And he was saying about how he followed, he had to follow Eleanor. Also, um, Offroyd round from 5 Live. Oh, Eleanor and Aldroyd, in, yeah. android yeah, sorry, in, uh, in Rio. And he just said it was the most amazing thing because, like, there he was. Uh, like, within about five minutes, he was standing very close watching the men's 100-metre final. And he, he just couldn't believe where, you know, what was going on at the so,
1: uh, look, uh, it's, it's it's, And, I mean, I presume if he's been going for 30 years, he's, he's been going uh, longer than me, so he's probably got a few more under his belt than I do. Oh, um, uh,
0: he's been... I think it was... LA is first. I think LA is his first, or Seoul. Seoul, ahead of Seoul me. Yeah. First. yeah, yeah. It's um,
1: um but do you know one of the things as well? Like, say from a technical point of view, when we're broadcasting from the uh, IBC, as they call it, the International yes. Broadcasting Center, um, that always fascinates me because you're in this building, and it's like some of them are are custom made for the Olympic Games. Others are buildings that have been sort of um, altered to suit the broadcasters. But the, the size is hard to. I remember somebody saying to me, if you put a roof over the top of Croke Park and multiplied it by six or eight or something, that's the size of the IBC uh, for an Olympic Games. Because, you know, um, NBC take, you know, almost an entire floor with their studios australian tv spanish tv the bbc themselves always have huge um, studios at any olympic games both for radio and tv so you know you go for a cup of coffee and you're standing in the queue and gary lineker is standing in front of you and somebody from jamaica (laughs) is behind you and somebody from japan and hong kong is and it's a 24-hour operation because there's always somebody broadcasting to somewhere in the world it's you know daytime nighttime whatever it is so the place is open all the time and there's always a great buzz and um For me, that was always one of the most kind of interesting things of an Olympics that you were meeting all these people from all over the world. And, you know, if uh, Ireland do well and say we win a medal quite often, you know, you'll get the guys from NBC coming down saying, can somebody come up to us and tell us about, you know, whoever the Irish person was. And so there's a great kind of um, camaraderie between the different uh, stations and a lot of um, countries when they win medals, you know, they put up a little sign outside their door to say six golds, four silvers, three bronzes. Yeah. as the thing goes on. So it's, it's great. It's I, if you, if you get the chance to go, whether it's Tokyo, Paris, I think for a lot of people in this neck of the woods would be a much easier one to, to get yeah. to. And hopefully by then um, everything will have settled down sort of um, health wise. Cause I fear that Tokyo next year, if it does go ahead, I think uh, the crowd numbers would be, I guess, Limited. restricted if crowds yeah. are allowed in at all. Um, so it's, it, that could be quite a strange one. Um, but Paris, uh, in four years' time, I think that could be a really good one, you know? Paris could be like the
0: the celebration, celebration one of where we're, we're sort of not back to normal because it's never going to be normal now is it but it could yeah. be like the, the real party sort of atmosphere and you can have Paris but they'll do it right like I'm sure Tokyo will so, ago, know, uh, as well. so you know
1: what and, uh... a brilliant city and uh, again they love their sports in France so whether it's football whether it's athletics whether there's such a great sporting country that no matter what event is on they're going to be in the shouting most of them anyway and um, so the crowds will be knowledgeable and you know, tickets will be probably hard to come by for some of the events, but um, yeah. if 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 you get the chance, hopefully by then you'll be um, getting paid by the BBC to go. That would be
0: cool. That would be unreal. Or, or I'll win the Euro Millions and the sports battle will be its own. <laughs> uh, by the BBC. Cons, so will <laughs> <laughs> be taking you with me? Um, are you like <laughs> me? See, when the Olympics comes on, I always find one sport that I get absolutely fascinated with to the point of where I try it out so uh, the last well 2012 uh, was taekwondo and then 2016 I followed up again with taekwondo really? and then yeah, yeah and it, well, <laughs> this is embarrassing so then I started doing taekwondo and I ended up uh, tearing my calf in <laughs> my third session but because I was only a beginner you do your you do your sessions and you're in with the kids. So I had this I'll never forget her this tiny tiny little girl, must be about seven or eight. She heard me go down and whelp, and she stood over me with her hands on my shoulder, rubbing <laughs> my shoulder because I was in absolute agony. I never went back, but I always get fascinated by a certain sport in the Olympics that I have to then watch, and it seems to be taekwondo for the reason I won't watch it. Um, Unless I come across it, the rest of the time. But when it's on the Olympics, it's a sport I mark down. Do you have a Do you have a sport you won't watch, but you'll when it's on the Olympics, you won't miss?
1: Well, I I always make a point again when I'm at an Olympics to go to some uh, sports that I've never been to before. Um, it's just something I like to do. So, like in Athens, I went to the um, beach volleyball. I'd never been to. I'd never seen beach volleyball until then. Um. In the flesh anyway, and the sun was shining. That was like a magnificent day, and it was just absolutely fantastic. Another time I went to indoor proper uh, volleyball. They'll kill me for saying proper volleyball, but you know what I mean, regular volleyball. Uh, And uh, that was absolutely unbelievable to see the speed and the agility of those uh, it was it was a women's match i was at and they were all about you know six for four or six for five uh, incredible athletes and i loved that um i went to the um the uh, canoe slalom uh, and, and actually ended up doing commentary in rio on the canoe slalom the first week uh, and that again was absolutely brilliant to watch up in the flesh you know up close and um, just the strength of those guys and, and 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 women as well brilliant um so yeah i'd always go to something i think i went to the greco-roman wrestling once um, i forget <laughs> where that was um, and obviously the main ones then again the football the swimming uh, athletics to to get to them and even things like the opening ceremony and the closing ceremony like the opening ceremony in beijing I was doing commentary on that for radio, which is it's it's hard thing to commentate on for radio when it's a yeah. you know, ceremony. But myself and Des Cahill were doing it and the line went down. And what had happened was it was so hot and you'd know this from from producing radio and stuff. Our ISDN box, which was on the desk in front of us, actually melted into the table. Um, oh, no. And it wasn't just us. There were several other broadcasters from all over the world who were having the same problems. Um, whatever type of material their ISDM box was made out of, which is for, for people who don't know what an ISDM box is, it's basically the commentary box that sits on the table. And so the solution, I mean, there was nothing they could do about it that night. They literally melted. Um, so the solution anyway for the rest of the Olympic Games was to put the boxes into basically like an icebox that you take on a picnic or something. And uh, that prevented it from happening again. But that opening ceremony in Beijing, I don't know if you remember it. If you ever get a chance to watch it on, I'm sure it's on YouTube or something. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in a stadium. It was absolutely brilliant. And normally opening ceremonies and closing ceremonies kind of leave me a bit cold and they're really expensive tickets for any Olympic games. You're talking Mm -hmm. about like a couple of thousand dollars maybe to get into a closing ceremony or an opening ceremony. I mean, the one in London was brilliantly done. I thought I wasn't actually in the stadium for that one, but Beijing trumped it for me. I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. So if there's anybody listening who hasn't seen that, I'd highly recommend that they go back and have a look at it. It
0: was, it was just magnificent so you, you you definitely won't miss another opening ceremony then if you get a chance oh no no if i get a chance
1: i <laughs> i go although funnily enough now in tokyo i won't if all being well and it does go ahead next year i yeah. i'm going to be doing football commentaries um, nice. and the football actually starts before the opening ceremony even happens there's a few games before that so i think i'll be working um and i won't be able to go but uh Alison, just to be there is such a such a joy and and such a, a you know it's it's kind of a an honor in a way you know
0: um, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm delighted to be going. Um, so you're in the commentating. I I obviously would I have listened to you listened to you on, on live score or free sport TV covering the Portuguese league. Uh, I get a bit of stick from cousin Johnny on the sports <laughs> book. He calls me a nerd because I watch yeah. uh, the Portuguese <laughs> league. But I, I tell you what, it, it's really stupid. I just I have a, little, a real affection for Porto. Have Not you? just yeah. the team. Yeah, the city. We went myself. My wife, Sarah, went for a city break to Porto, and I literally fell in love with the place. Uh, it was just amazing. We were there a for a whole place, week. And, yeah.
1: Oh, I mean, actually, stunning. Portugal as a whole. I mean, Lisbon is gorgeous and down south. But yeah. Porto, yeah, great food as well. Oh. Beautiful.
0: The little Portuguese tartlets, uh Del Nadas, you get with yeah, coffee in the stop, morning. Yeah. Like uh, <laughs> they're dangerous. Uh, but I just love it. And I'm like I'm a Liverpool fan, we always seem to get Porto for some reason in in European competitions as well. So I we'll have a I always see them. So I, I, there's something about it anyway. Um so I've started watching it and watching it the last two or three seasons. How did you get into commentating on the Portuguese league? Um it, what happened
1: was um, I was doing work on the League of Ireland and um, the uh, Portuguese uh, contract came up and Free Sport got it. And I think uh, the games also go out sometimes on Premier Sport, which is like a, a sister yeah. channel as well. And uh, they just asked me, would I be interested in doing some Portuguese games? And at that point... I had been at matches in Portugal in the past and kind of, you know, had a a passing, probably even less of an interest then than you have now. But um, once they asked, I jumped at it because I think I think your cousin Johnny is wrong. I think you're right. I think you're watching a league where so many players now are coming out of Portugal. And I mean, we saw um, Jota scoring for uh, Uh Liverpool last night. Um, yep. But there's more and more and more. I mean, we're hearing this week now of um, Alex Tellage maybe going to Manchester United. It looks like that deal is possibly going to happen. Uh, Ruben mm-hmm. Diaz has signed for Manchester City just this week for 68 million quid. Um, and the likes of Trincao, who's gone to uh, Barcelona Diego Dalo, I although he hasn't really worked out with Manchester United, you know, you would have got a chance to see him before he moved there. Uh, João Felix, the young fellow who's with Atletico Madrid at the moment now, who everybody thinks is the sort of the next uh, Ronaldo. It's a bit unfair to say that about any player. And um, Militao, who's gone to Real Madrid, the defender, looked really good when he came on the scene as well. So you're, you're seeing all these players at 18, 19, 20, 21, before they move on to the leagues where they can, you know, earn the big bucks. Um, and the the quality of the games at times, quality of the goals, absolutely fantastic. So I love it, I have to say. I really enjoy doing it.
0: No, like, that's what I find. Um, it's sort of... People seem to... And not just that he doesn't. just Johnny says this. It's not just him in general. Like, what people do seem to look, not look down on it. But they never mention mm. the Portuguese league. They'll mention the French league above it because of yeah. PSG. But when's the last time a French team did anything of note and won um, many European competitions? Like it Porto have won Europa League? Was it two times yeah. in the last? Is it fifteen years now? They won the Champions of them League. One was in Dublin at the Aviva. Actually. One of them was in yeah. Dublin, yeah, yeah, against Braga, and um, which yeah. I was at. Were you at that game? I wasn't. I was away, actually. I was out of the country, so I didn't see it, no. Uh, um, and then, the, obviously, we all know what Benfica have done. Sporting yeah. got very close as well. Braga were in that final against um, Porto. So they're always there and thereabouts, and it does sort of get a little bit, like, mm, looked down upon a little bit. It's not sort of seen yeah. as, as, as that good league when there is so much talent coming through it, Con. like it, It's unbelievable. It is uh, the only thing talent.
1: I would say is that, you know, the results in Europe recently haven't been that not good been really you know i mean no. benfica getting knocked out by the greek side pauk in the qualifying uh, for the champions league this season was an absolute killer blow for them and actually that's the main reason why they were forced to sell ruben diaz to man city because they they reckoned they lost about 50 million quid by not going uh, forward you know or potentially up to you know 50 million or thereabouts um so their hand was kind of forced then to sell one of their best players which you know in the last few years portuguese clubs have kind of become like feeder clubs for leagues you know whether it's germany uh england and uh, spain or italy um or even france as you say i mean at least there's a, there's a bit of money in france i know they haven't got a hugely brilliant track record at international level but PSG obviously with so much money behind them now are going to be there or thereabouts but there is there's just this constant throughput of really brilliant young players I mean if you look at Portugal's underage results like um under 17 under 18 under 19 they're always if they don't win the European championship at that age level every couple of years they're in the final or you know they they're coming close They have so many good young players coming through. And even last season, I remember a few people said to me, this fellow, Bruno Fernandes, who looks like he's going to sign for Manchester United, is he any good? And I said, Jesus, watch the matches. You know, he's brilliant. And he's going to be a huge hit at Old Trafford. I guarantee you he's going to be really good. Uh, And anybody who'd been watching the games (laughs) would know that he was a really good player. And likewise, I think anybody who's been watching the Portuguese games over the last couple of seasons would say, Man City, they conceded five the other night. Probably wouldn't have happened if Ruben Diaz was playing. I mean, he's only 20. Well, he's just turned 23, actually. But he already has 19 international caps for Portugal, who are probably one of the best international teams in the world at the moment now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, he's, I think he's class. Uh, The only question you might say is, look, it's different playing... Liverpool and Arsenal and Everton and, you know, clubs of, you know, really strong Premier Division clubs versus Porto Monense and Tondela and Famalicao or whatever. But uh, having said that, he's done it on the international stage. Um, he's done it in Europe with Benfica, albeit they had a terrible year this year. And, you know, Pep Guardiola doesn't spend 68 million on a defender if he doesn't think he's any good.
0: No, I was going to ask you about Ruben Diaz, and 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 obviously, <laughs> I think that took Man City up to like four hundred million. now they spent on defenders, and or Pep Guardiola has anyway since he's been there. So it is quite a substantial amount of money. But what what I found when he was being linked and when people started talking about him more, they were mentioning the port Portugal caps. Yeah. In fact, he's got nineteen, and and people call him a leader already at the only age of twenty two. And I know Benfica gave him the captain's armband for his last game the other night. Yeah. But he was very good. He was very good the other night. So do do you, you really do think that this could be a type of player that, in beside Laporte, they could really solve all their defensive frailties here now with adding him in? I don't know if he'll solve all of their fragility no, at no. the back, but he'll certainly bring a
1: sense of commanding presence to the heart of that central defence. I mean, he's tall. Very good in the air. I mean, defensively, really good in the air. But also, from set pieces and stuff, he poses a threat. We saw it the other night, actually, when he scored in his last game for Benfica um, from a corner kick. And that was a match. Apparently, Man City didn't want him to play in that game. But he wanted to have one last go at the Estadio de Luz before he said goodbye. And they gave him the co- captain's armband for the, um, for the night, especially for the occasion. But the other thing that he has, which... I think Guardiola and Guardiola's teams would like is he's really comfortable on the ball. He can play football um, on the ground. You know, he's if, if the goalkeeper gives it to him, he's not going to be the sort of central defender who's going to panic and want to hoof it. He'll pass it around, no problem. He... Um, if you were to have any criticism of him, he's probably... You know, if you put him in a 100-meter sprint, he wouldn't win the race against you know some of the quicker players but I, I i think you know he's not slow but he's just not r- absolutely
0: yeah.
1: uh, speedy Gonzales. but i think his positional sense is fantastic um and i think he has the potential to be a another leader you know he's very vocal he, even when he came into the team as a twenty nineteen twenty 20 year old he didn't mind shouting at all the players and giving the referee a bit of guff as well like he's a confident young fellow, and um, I think he's going to be an excellent signing for for Man City, and I wouldn't be surprised if we were talking three years from now that he wouldn't be the uh, captain of Man City at that point. Wow! It, it,
0: it, like they're crying out, they're crying out for their next to find their next Vincent company. Yeah, um, yeah. I've never seen a team miss a centre half as much. Yeah. You know, recently, like really recently, like and obviously, like if Liverpool lost Van Dyke or whatever, and and different things, and and when when John Terry left Chelsea, there was those as well. But Chelsea still seemed to be okay with it, whereas City are crying out for someone in that defense yeah. to grab it. By the yeah. and I think their the company had forward. that kind of presence yeah.
1: on the pitch as well. You know, yeah. like he demanded a performance of the players around him, and um, he set the tone himself real leader sort of on and off the pitch and when you see him interviewed in games or after games i was always really impressed with how sort of articulate he was and just a really good leader uh, on the field and i think i mean obviously ruben diaz wouldn't speak english at the moment and it's going to take him a while but um i think he has the potential to be another Vincent company for them and um i mean time will tell but uh, I think he's of all the centre halves they could have signed, I think he's probably the one I would have gone for.
0: Oh well any Man City fans listening to this will probably be a little m- bit more happy <laughs> hearing this than, than what they had to watch and go through oh, on uh. I, was on I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna give Jamie Vardy the chance to get filed in the box that's going to happen And if you're not going to cut out a pass to him Or you're going to let him run across you That's going to happen yeah. <laughs> He's aging like a fine wine Jimmy Vardy So he's going to do that to a lot of teams Another signing that could be heading potentially to Manchester Which we talked about at the start of the show mm. Is the absolutely brilliant Alex Teles. The way I would describe Alex Teles, I think it's Teles, isn't it I try to pronounce it right So don't say again Yeah means. they
1: kind of put a SH at the
0: end Tellez. Yeah, <laughs> Teles is if he's on TV watching He's one of those, and he's at left-back. This is a fellow that's played 190-odd games for Porto at left-back, 26 goals and 56 assists. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. That's, <laughs> and They're signing... Are they signing Alex Telles to replace Luke Shaw, or are they signing him for competition for Luke Shaw? How would you see that going? Oh, that I man think, well, for me, that man, that's uh, a
1: no-brainer. Absolute yeah. no-brainer. He's in ahead of Luke Shaw, definitely. Um, I mean, last season for Porto, um, when they won the league, he scored 11 goals. And their top scorer was 12, uh, Morega. Um, so he was one behind their top scorer from left-back. Now, having said that, of the 11 goals, eight of them were penalty kicks. And he's yeah. deadly uh, with the penals. Oh, he's uh, the really, case. really good. Um, but he's another player. You know, he he loves to bomb up the line, get forward, get crosses in, and... Um, I think, again, he'll be tested more in the Premier League than he would be in Portugal. You know, Porto tend to dominate almost every game they play in bar the matches against Benfica, Sporting, and maybe, you know, Braga or whatever. So they would tend to be on top of teams most of the time, which allows him maybe a little bit more license to get forward and, get you know, supporting the attack. He's a, one of these guys who kind of hugs the touchline. Uh, has a zinger of a left foot i mean he, he'll he hit a shot from 25 yards out and um you know pick the top corner he's really and i think he's an excellent player that the thing about it is as well i think they're going to get him cheap because he's going to be in january he's a free agent well he's he's a year to go on his contract but he could he could sign a pre-contract in january which would be free So United, if they were willing to wait, they could actually get him for free in January. But I think they actually need him now. And uh, if they get him for it's been reported 18 million, the buyout clause on his contract is 36 million. So basically they'd be getting him for half price. I think at 18 million, he'd be really good business for them. He's still only 27. um, So he's got a lot of good years ahead of him. And he's already it's an interesting one because he has one international cap for Brazil but it was a friendly and he qualifies for Italy as well. And previously, actually before he got the cap for Brazil, he said he kind of would quite like to play for Italy. So it's whether they dangle that carrot in front of him, whether he'd switch, I don't know, but he's stuck on one cap for uh, Brazil at the moment. But for me, I think he'd be a wonderful signing for uh, man United and that it's kind of been a problem position for them for a while. Um, They've a lot of you know good players going forward. And if if they manage to get Jaden Sancho as we speak, that deal seems to have hit the the uh the the sidings for the moment anyway. But um I think going forward they're they're pretty good. But in defense, we've seen a bit like City of late, a bit wobbly. Um, this fellow Alex Tellish would add a bit of steel. To that defence, and I think if there's Man United fans listening and they're wondering, you know, is he going to have the same impact as Bruno Fernandes? I mean, it's difficult from left back to be quite as, um, you know, game changing as maybe Bruno Fernandes might be. Um, but he, he'd be a huge addition to their squad. And I, the other interesting thing would be if they get a penalty, you know, can he? knock Bruno Fernandes over and take the kick himself because they're both deadly from the penalty spot. So it would be a good little argument between those two if it ever comes to it. But I, I think it, that move probably will happen. Um, yeah. Maybe by the time people are listening to this, it might actually have gone through. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's going to be a big loss for Porto, actually, you know, going into Europe this season. Uh, such a an important, pivotal player for them. But, yeah. Um, as I say, if they can get 18 million for him now rather than you know zero next year, maybe they have to cash in their chips.
0: Yeah, he's like, even though he's joining Manchester United and I'm a Liverpool fan, I'm excited about seeing him in the Premier League. Although I do, I don't want him to leave Porto because I quite like Porto, it's, yeah. like, it's sort of a catch twenty two, But I would love to see how he goes in the Premier League, and there will be people because we everyone's a snob at times when they talk about the Premier League or the bigger leagues, and they will think oh, he's going to come here, and as you're saying, it's, it is definitely not the same and he could struggle, but Bruno Fernandes has literally took over the Premier Premier League oh, from midfield, yeah. Raul Jimenez I, I am chairman of the Raul Jimenez fan club, <laughs> I, I chair it it's just myself, and my son Finn, he doesn't know anything about it yet, but I absolutely adore Raul Jimenez, and he is one of the finest strikers in the Premier League at the minute, and he came from Benfica
1: if we had been having this conversation when that move was in the, the offing, I, yeah. I would have been of the kind of slightly doubtful um, department because he didn't set the world on fire when he was at Benfica no. uh, um, and he was kind of in and out of the team a little bit and just didn't quite settle there. And so I thought going to England, if he's not going to settle in Portugal, you know, how the hell is he going to get on in you know, the midlands in England, but he's, God, he's, I, I think maybe um, Nuno Espirito Santo has to take a lot of credit here because, my goodness, he's, you're right. He's one of the best strikers in the league now, and uh, scoring goals for fun. He see, just seems to be enjoying his football. He's playing with a smile on his face, you know, and that's always great to see from any striker. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's, he's just another example of getting somebody from the league in Portugal
0: and, you
1: know, shining up that diamond and off he goes.
0: You look at Neves, uh, Moutinho, he's been around obviously, Um, I know maybe this year Moutinho doesn't look like himself, he is getting on a bit, so that's obviously going to happen. Diogo Jota, who like last night, nobody talked about, his goal hasn't been talked about enough because I don't think, without a crowd, it doesn't add to it, but to control the ball the way he did and then bury it into the bottom corner as your first Liverpool goal (laughs) in front of the, and even though it was an empty cup, is pretty special. Great There's technique. all these talents coming. Oh, brilliant technique coming through. Then we, have, we, don't, we haven't we even talked yet about the managers. Like you've yeah. obviously got Mourinho. You've got villas um, uh, boas is now at Marseille. I know they've had a bit of a stumble block, but they managed to beat uh, PSG. Nuno. Yeah. Nuno's the one for me that I look across the league at. If Klopp was decided to, to go and take the Germany job, which I think is going to come down the line sooner or later, yeah. he's the one that I would be looking at as a Liverpool fan to possibly come in.
1: That's an interesting yeah, one, I, yeah. I, because I, I, I haven't really thought that like... he'd replace Klopp because he's almost <laughs> irreplaceable, you know. But yeah. I think you're, you might be right, just in terms of their philosophy on the game and stuff, um, that might be an interesting
0: option for them, all right, yeah. And I'm sure he'd, he'd absolutely jump at the chance as well if it came oh. along. Um, another signing, but he didn't come to the Premier League, he went to Barcelona, was Trincao. He, he was a bragger I think yeah. he played 30, 33 games last year I think he maybe was it 8 goals mm. it even as many as 8 but young player moved it sort of sprung out of nowhere and it took a lot of people by surprise I know Barcelona fans were sort of saying different things about it but how do you see Trincao getting on in La Liga
1: Yeah I think he'll do really well I mean I did I can't remember if it was his debut or you know one of his very first games anyway for Braga and I remember going home that night and tweeting that I had seen a future star I I don't know what age he was at the time but I mean he's still very young so I presume he was well I've no idea but I, I presume he was you know in his teens anyway and um I remember saying this This guy was just like unbelievable. Just from that one match, I could just see that he had that little bit of magic, something special about him. Um, so I wasn't surprised when Barcelona signed that pre-contract with him. Um, and I think it was good that they allowed him stay at Braga, get another season under his belt, playing top-level senior football. I think ultimately he'll do really well at, um, at Barcelona. Um, it may take a while for him to kind of really establish himself as, you know, a, a driving force in the team. And, you know, you're at Barcelona, you're a young kid coming in from Portugal and you're surrounded by a dressing room. You know, you're sitting down and you look to your left and there's Messi and you look across from you and there's Suarez. And there's just so many big characters in there. Dembele, who's another uh, possible, you know, Manchester United target now. Um, mm-hmm. So it can be quite daunting, I'd imagine, you know, for a young fellow going to um, Barcelona. Um, but I think with a little bit of experience and a bit of time, if they're patient with him, he's a, oh God, he's really magic on the ball. He's, he's one of these players, when, when they are allowing crowds back into football stadia, every time he gets the ball, there'll be a buzz in the crowd because he just has that little bit of magic that you know certain players have and he's got it. I think he's going to be very successful there.
0: So, what you're saying is we're getting prepared for Portugal dominance in the in, uh, Euros yeah. and World Cups? Yeah.
1: I think so. I mean, when you look at their, their. I mean, people might say Ronaldo, you know, Ronaldo is essentially kind of on his final lap, if you like, in terms of international football. There isn't too many years left in him now. People were wondering, you know, how will Portugal survive post Ronaldo? But I think when you look at the talents that they have, um, I think the future is very rosy for them. I mean, they've already won the um, Nations League in 2019, which I still Mm -hmm. find it a bit hard to understand what that's all about, but they won it anyway. Um, Obviously, with the Euros to come next year, um, the World Cup, a lot of these players will be hitting 24, 25, you know, uh, and you still have the teens. Doing the business one, there's a a lad. Um, again, I don't know if you've seen him recently. Nuno Mendes playing left wing back at Sporting, who's only 18, and actually came into the Sporting team when he was 17 last season. And again, he's another one that as soon as I saw him, I said this guy is going to be really good. And I, I've I have seen him linked to a couple of clubs in England. Tottenham being one you of them. I think that
0: Liverpool at one point. Yeah, actually Liverpool yeah, were linked it?
1: with them, but obviously they have Robertson uh, on the yeah. left-hand side, so it's not a huge hole they need to fill. But he has, I mean, age is on his side. If he joined Anfield at 18, you know, even if he doesn't come into the team till he's 21 or whatever, um, but he's he's a first team player now for Sporting at 18 years of age and he's fantastic again, just an unbelievable engine up and down that left flank. Uh, as good a crosser of the ball, if not better than Alex Tellish. every time he gets you know in the final third, he'll whip in a dangerous ball. Just he's a, an intelligent young player, and as I say, he's only 18. So, as a Liverpool fan, you would be delighted if he joins the Reds because he's fantastic. You know, he's really good. One to watch out
0: for. I was going to ask you before we ask about who we think will win this league this year and different things and and whatever. Are there apart from Nuno Mendes that you've mentioned? Are there one or two more players that if we're going to be watching uh, Premier League this weekend, who we should be looking out for? Yeah,
1: um, there's another player at Sporting uh, again who came in last season at uh, 18, um, Eduardo Curesma, uh another defender, n- really. Cam on the underage international. Uh, he's actually related to Zico, the famous um, Brazilian player. Oh. Going back a couple of generations, um, his grandmother and Zico's grandmother, or something. Well, Zico's mother, I think, were were sisters. Um, so he's a classy. He reminded me when I first saw him. And again, he's he's playing top level football in Portugal, eighteen years of age walked out there like he had been playing for 10 years, you know, just absolutely calm on the ball, really good. So, he's another one to keep an eye on, um, Quaresma. Um, Sporting have a, 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 well, they just have a a load of young fellas coming through. Another 17-year-old called Joelson, who's uh, had some first-team football recently, another underage international in the Portuguese team, and just another really, really good prospect. And this week, um, Daniel Braganza came on uh, in their game against whoever. They, I was actually doing it, and I can't remember who they were playing. Was it um, Port, uh, Port, uh, Was it Port, um Anyway, I, that was yesterday's um, fish and chip paper, as they say. But this lad, Daniel <laughs> Braganza, midfield, uh, 21 years of age, um, Super. Really, really good. Um, Just left-footed, confident, good passer of the ball. He's going to be good. Um, And when you look at Porto, they also have, like, the team a couple of years ago that won the um, UEFA Youth League. um, Almost every player from that squad has... Gone on either to join the first team squad in Porto or move away to you know um, clubs around Europe. So you know Thomas Estevez, who's a a right back, they've very high hopes um, for him, and he looks very good. Fabio Vieira is another player, uh, midfielder, another left-footed midfielder. I mean, they're just they've. I'd hate to be the Portuguese national team manager uh, or even the under-21 manager because you have so many players to choose from. You're gonna to have to leave out like players who would walk into any other team across Europe almost, you know. Um, and I'm thinking at Benfica, they've not as many kind of standout young players now, they've gone for a slightly older um tranche of players. Nuno Tavares is a left back who's 20, and again, he looks like a, a decent player. Um Jota, a different Jota, young, young Jota up front for uh, Benfica. About a year ago, they had really, really high hopes for him, but he hasn't quite hit the heights for them, um, and he's not really getting much game time at the moment. So that's one to kind of keep an eye on, just to see whether he shows the um, talent that he seems to have, but just hasn't been quite doing it in the last few months. But we keep an eye on that Jota. Um, and the other one, I, I think it's really interesting for, for English fans because um, Vitoria Guimaraes have three English players in their squad. And one of them, I can't believe he's still at Guimaraes. He's Marcus Edwards. Um, he was with oh, Tottenham. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. He's so good. Um, was, was, he, was he in Holland at one point or Belgium at
0: one point? Uh,
1: was he? I, I don't know. I don't know. I'd, I'd need I'll to... Check. Check on that. Uh, he might well have been, actually. I think Spurs... I mean, he was kind of with Spurs' youth team, you know, the underage, and yeah. went out on loan. Might have gone on loan to Holland before he went on loan to Guimaraes, um, But he is, like, fantastic as well. I don't want to build up these players too much, but this guy is very, very good. And I know I spoke to a few um, Tottenham fans who had watched him playing um, at underage at, at Spurs. And they all thought he was the next best thing since sliced bread. And every time I've seen him play, he's been wonderful. And he is an an under-20 international for England. So he's on their radar, you know. Um, But how Guimaraes have managed to hang on to him for this season and how he hasn't gone to one of the bigger clubs, even in Portugal, um, I don't know. Uh, They they have a good link, obviously, with England, with two other English players um, there as well. Um, but he's one if you're if we Vitoric Wimerez are playing any games uh this season on TV, he'd be the one to watch out for because he's he's a super young talent.
0: The, he actually he was at Excelsior,
1: was in, he? Yeah, uh, on
0: loan, yeah, was it? yeah, yeah, on loan for two years. So I knew I knew he was somewhere else, um, because yeah. I remember him being an end it being a sort of a, a bit of a uh a piece on one of the news channels or, or maybe even been football focus or something talking about it, the fact that he'd gone in his own way and gone and done that. Like, so, yeah.
1: um, I mean, it's unusual. Like, I mean, we talk yeah. about so many Portuguese players going to, to play in England. There is this slight, um, route for younger English players to get game time in a top division. I mean, if you, if you call Portugal a top division, I would actually, in terms of, yeah. you know, the, the talent in the league and, um, Angel Gomez I know some people call him Angle, but he actually prefers to be called Angel Gomez. Um, he was with Manchester United, and again, speaking to some United fans, when he was with them as a youngster, they thought he was going to be brilliant, and he's come over to Portugal now to play with Bo Vista, and he, he's going to get really good game time at a good level, and it'll be interesting to see you know, if he finds his way again with uh, Bo Vista, who are a good club, and and you know will be... Reasonably competitive, I think, in Portugal this season, and the, the other guys at Vitória uh, Guimarães, Jacob Maddox, who I didn't know at all, he was with the Chelsea underage setup, and Issei Suliman, who again played in the English under-20 international team, centre half, good-looking player, you know, good on the ball and kind of suits Portuguese football where there isn't quite as much kind of long high balls coming in to be headed away. It's a bit more technical and it kind of suits his game. So for these young guys who are trying to establish themselves again, having maybe not quite hit the heights in England yet, it is a chance for them to do do that. And, um, you know, even in Ireland, we've seen players who've gone to England, kind of it hasn't really worked out for them at a young age. They've come back to Ireland Played well here and gonna move back to England again, so it's it's a bit like that in a
0: way. Yeah. If if I was a young footballer and I got I, I maybe say I was at Premier League club and and I wasn't gonna make it just there, and I got the chance to go and live in Portugal and play football, I would bite your hand off mm. to go and li- live in Portugal for a year or two and play play football in that league. was oh yes. yes, as we say, it, it, I still think it's a top. It's obviously a top eight league or eight league in in Europe, if Porto seeded, do you know what I mean? And yeah. the group stage, the yeah. Champions they League. So actually, it's yeah. obviously yeah, is val- uh, valued. It is top eight league across Europe. So, uh, you, and it, I remember I
1: spoke with um Gamond who is yes. now with Newport, and and every time Newport are on match of the day on on the FA Cup, Podreg always scores. You know, and he, he's goal machine. Yeah, he's brilliant. Um, and he had a couple of seasons in Portugal with Passos de Ferreira, um, which would be a bit like going to, um, I mean, they are in the Premier Division, but it, it, it's it's quite a small town. And it's not like moving to a city, as you say, like Porto is a magnificent place to live or Lisbon is beautiful or even on the south coast, you know, with um, Porto Manence or something, you know, you're down mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, in the sunshine all the time. Pasos de Ferreira is a kind of a small place to go. And if you don't speak Portuguese and there aren't too many other English speakers in the squad and stuff, I think it can be a bit lonely in a way, um, a bit isolating. And uh, he, he found it hard to settle there, I think. You know, he loved it and he still speaks very highly of it. But just in terms of his career, it didn't rocket his career the way I think it moved to some of the teams in Portugal might. Um, but I agree. I mean, as a life experience for any young player to go there, maybe learn the language and um, just sample the culture. And you are in the shop window when you're playing in Portugal. You know, you can be guaranteed that the managers in leagues all over Europe are watching those Portuguese games because there is so much young talent on display. So you are, you know, for the likes of a Marcus Edwards, he's showing what he can do. And I'd be... Uh, absolutely amazed if he's still playing in Portugal next year. I think he'll get a move to a, a club back in England in the next 12 months.
0: One to keep an eye out for then. Um, yeah. Con. so Porto won the league last year. Uh, it's It's been between Porto and Benfica for a while. Sporting and and Braga they're about sporting more so sort of, it's always seemed to be like um, they're sort of like Cinderella to the two ugly steps. You know, they're always sort of sort of try and do things that maybe might break through and then it just seems to fall away from them. Uh George Jesus is back now. The yeah. lunatic, he's back <laughs> at Benfica. Um, he was unbelievable in Brazil. He was amazing in Brazil. Mm. And, and maybe if COVID hadn't have hit, he possibly still could be there. I know Brazil didn't deal with it too well, to be honest. No, um I think he was happy but, to get out of Dodge. I think he was happy to get out of Dodge. Um, so they're back. Who's going to win it this year? That's a really good question. You know,
1: um, I mean, you're right. He had great success in Brazil with Flamengo, and, and bringing them to to win the Copa Libertadores was uh, like a I really great managerial performance by him. And um, when you look at losing Ruben Diaz, I mean, obviously they've brought in Vertonghen, who um, looks very comfortable, um, even though he's thirty three. So um, and also it looks like Nicholas Otamendi is going the other way from Man City to Benfica. So if you have Otomendi and Vertonghen at the heart of your defense, um, it's probably not too bad. Um if I had to plump for one team this season, it's going to be close, I think, between Benfica and Porto. Obviously, it's a bit of a coin flip, but I think I'd probably just go for. Benfica um, they've made some good signings in the summer um, Vinicius who was the top scorer in the league last season hasn't been able to get into the team um, Darwin Nunes the Uruguayan has looked sharp Everton uh, Brazilian that they've brought in uh, looks good Soferovic is back amongst the goals and seems to be oh. enjoying his football again Um So I'd maybe just lean towards Benfica, but it wouldn't be a strong tip. Uh, I think Sporting will be more competitive this year than they've been for the last couple. Um, And they were a bit of a shambles for the last couple of seasons with, you know, off the field nonsense going on. But they've so many good young players coming through if they can just, you know, stop. Dropping silly points as they've been a bit kind of inclined to do, they could be good. And they, actually, they've made a new signing today. Um, Bruno Tabata has joined them from Porto Menens. He's a Brazilian, yes, and he was really good for Porto Menens in a team that were struggling big time last season. And um, Tabata uh, was excellent, and I think he had one of the highest assists in the. the I think he had something like eight or nine or ten assists. Um, for Porto last season. So he's a good signing. And at 23, you know, he's a good age as well in terms of uh, having plenty on front of him. So uh, sporting will be there or thereabouts as well. But I think you're looking at Benfica, Porto second, sporting third, but tighter than, than it's been in terms of
0: at least sporting getting close to the other two. I would go for Benfica myself. And I, 100% what you say about the signings and the fact that Porto are probably going to lose Alex Teles. Yeah. Uh, he, he is so pivotal to, what, to everything they do. Um, I just think it'd be just one step too much for them this year if they did, were to lose him. He, he's that important. I, and I could just see Benfica. And, and obviously, South has done an unbelievable job there. Yeah. But just yeah. Jesus coming back in, they'll want to do something now that they're out of the Champions League. Like, they'll have to make a mark somehow. Um, and I'd love that I'd also I would love to see them win a European trophy because I'm sick of that fucking curse it must be Benfica <laughs> and Mayo fans there must be yeah. a link there somewhere <laughs> do you know what I mean I was I was beginning to think Liverpool had that link they couldn't win a Premier League trophy but they won it when it was called the Old First Division I was starting to think there's something going on here so I would love to see Benfica finally do that and finally win a European trophy. It'll be um, great
1: for the, for the you're right. I mean, great for them, obviously, but great for the Portuguese. Uh, unreal for the league. Brilliant for the league. Sevilla have um, just too dominant in the Europa League at uh, late. So it'd be nice uh, for somebody else to have a go.
0: Um, before I let you go, Conor, thanks you so much for coming on. I hope I can get you back on again down the line, talk more about the season as it goes Definitely. on. Who are you commentating on this week and where can we catch you and catch the league?
1: Yeah, um, this weekend, I have two matches, actually, Saturday and Sunday. So Saturday is Porto, actually, against uh, Maritimo. And that is not going to be live on Free Sport. It's a delayed transmission. But obviously, the live score app, the games are going out as well. So if you wanted to keep an eye on how that's going, uh, that's on Saturday. And then on Sunday, Benfica play Ferenc, who've been uh, promoted last season. So... Uh, that should be, I mean, I know it's famous last words, but it should be a comfortable three points for Benfica and they should really notch a few goals in that one as well. And um, it's at the Estadio deluge as well. So I think, um, you know, that's a, a pretty handy three points for uh, Benfica. And just if anybody's listening and they haven't um, been to a match in Portugal assuming that everything kind of maybe whenever it is in the in the new year that things start to get back to some kind of normality it's a great place to visit um, tickets for matches are easier to get than sometimes in Spain for some of the big games it can be hard for you know Barca and Real Madrid and stuff like that but to go to somewhere like uh, the Estadio de Luz in Lisbon for a Benfica match or the Alvalade for Sporting Lisbon or up the road to Porto and the Dragao they're great stadiums they're the atmospheres are fantastic and I'd highly highly recommend it I mean you obviously fell in love with Porto a bit as a place to visit and uh, and, you know I'm not working for the Portuguese Tourist Board but I just know from (laughs) friends that I've spoken to and stuff that it's just a great place they love their football the atmosphere is always good and and uh, if you can't get to a match at least you can always watch it on free sports and premier and stuff but uh, if you do get a chance to go I'd, I'd really recommend it.
0: Well, Brenton, who uh, helps produce, he's the boss, of the the sports bubble. Uh, basically, uh, he's also my brother-in-law, so I, I can't really say much. Um, and he's my best friend, but he he's getting married, so I'm one of his groomsmen. I I still don't can't believe he asked me, but he doesn't know yet. But I was planning on, and I'm going to tell him now. Uh, hopefully, booking portugal or, or hinted them towards maybe going to portugal to catch a game and catch a few games so that's on my list anyway to go that's great um, yeah, yeah. It, it'd be unreal if you get a weekend maybe in lisbon where benfica and sporting were playing maybe i'm not sure that would work one or two days after each other or whatever i think that will be unreal but it's definitely yeah. something on the list to go to um i know our friends have been to porto games and different things and I can't wait to get it when, when hopefully we come out of COVID and everyone's okay and we can travel again. Yeah, That's one Is of the it? first places I'm going to go to watch football.
1: It's so accessible, really, for us. You know, it's not far. It's a couple of hours. And, and you know, there's so many flights there all the time. So, uh, yeah, Brendan, uh, the secret is out now. You're going to Portugal next year.
0: <laughs> well, his his big brother is the best man. So I'll have to try and convince him as well. But that, that would be, I'm just throwing it out there because they both, well, Kevin will be listening to this as well. Um, that would be my tip, lads, where we go to. That's where I want to go because we can have unbelievable food. We can watch amazing football. The weather will be great. And yeah. I can eat my body weight. In Pasadena's again and <laughs> thoroughly enjoy myself, but it isn't and it's calm, not that expensive as well, you know. No, like
1: compared it's not. to some places just, in Europe, it's it's not too expensive,
0: not at all. Like, and we got our class, little Airbnb myself and my wife, when we stayed there, and I was it was typically Porto picturesque, you know, the architecture of it. When you yeah. came walking out, you're outside like a, a university or college, and yeah. it was just unreal. We, we loved it, like, so, um, yes. Con, thank you so much for coming on the Sports Babble. Uh, we can't thank you enough. Really appreciate it. Um, ah, that has been
1: a pleasure. Hopefully... Listen, I just I love talking about sport. I love talking about football. So this is a, a labour of love. Absolutely no problem at all. Really you, enjoyed it,
0: You've just opened Pandora's box to me now because me here and that now, I'll be able to torture you because you accidentally give me your number. <laughs> so I'll be able to ask, torture you, and get you on to talk about all sorts of things now. So watch yourself. But thanks so much, con and no Make sure you catch Colin on Free Sport, or I have the live score app, which is showing a load of the Portuguese games. And you're also doing the League of Ireland as well, aren't you?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm done for this season now. There's only a couple of games left um, in the league here, so I'm finished for this season, but uh, ready to rock next season again, hopefully.
0: Yeah. So as always, catch tune in, and if you want to hear our podcast, it's very simple. Get on your podcast app and just type in the Sports Bubble. Um, you're on all of them, and get us on Twitter as your best bet at the Sports Bubble. Colin, thanks again, and enjoy the weekend. I'll talk to you soon. Take care, Phil. All right, good luck